It's This Week in Sleeves with your host, the great lord, Joshua Riegel and Sleazy K. This podcast has been rated Category 3. No one under 18 may be permitted. Let's talk some Bruce Lee and Betty Tingpei fucking. All told from the perspective of the latter. So uh, from Betty Tingpei we get the story of the pot-smoking, drinking, bully, prankster with brain disease that was Bruce Lee. Plus tits. All done at Shaw Brothers. Uh, from you know, it's a closet joint, kind of. <laughs> My name is Lisa K. With me in the middle of his sort of research and deep dive into Bruce Bloitation, uh, we find a great Lord Joshua Eagle. Hello, hello. How are we doing this morning? What's your favorite Bruce copy, if not Danny Lee, out of Bruce Lee and I? The easy answer is Bruce Lee. L I. He's probably uh, been in the most decent movies. Bruce Lee. Uh, L.E. He's kind of uh, behind. Uh, he's definitely, whereas qu- quality isn't his um, strong suit, quantity surely is. He's been in pretty much everything. So those two are the real champions of the genre, I would say. I like Dragon Lee because he's the biggest of them all. Of them all. He's, uh, <laughs> he's bolo-sized, really. He point. really is. He's like friggin', I mean, I hate to say it, but he's Bruce Lee on steroids, you know? He's... And then came Danny Lee for one movie to be Bruce Lee. The, the thing is, we will want to have time to talk of uh, his career, but the, the, this role as Bruce Lee in Bruce Lee and I, it's really that part of that streak of uh, Shaw Brothers using Danny Lee in their strangest movies. Because mm-hmm. he's in, in he, he's Inframan in Super Inframan. He's in Mighty Peaky Man. He's not, <laughs> you know, he's not the the ape. Uh, but uh, and he's in Battle Wizard. That's a fun wuxia where there's a lot of pew 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 lasers and stuff. And and then there's this Bruce Lee and I starring Danny Lee. To be fair, we really don't know if that he wasn't the uh, giant ape. He could have been in the costume too. Double duties feel strange enough at this studio so i might as well <laughs> might as well go all in before the man who plays cops became the man who plays cops uh, he was bruce lee and bruce lee and i we got a lot to do here on uh, this weekend's lee so i'm gonna keep it uh, quick as we uh, as we uh, get into the show so for all your podcast on fire network needs including the back catalog of this weekend's lease go to podcastonfire.com check out the archive check out the bonus episodes and all the other shows on hong kong cinema korean cinema in this case lisa cinema and uh, find something you like hopefully you like this show that uh, we were doing Bruce Bloitation deep dive but that doesn't mean this film isn't sleazy because it certainly is it's um, it uh, fits the mold and if you bought a uh, a DVD of it in the mid 2000s when it came out it had a sort of fresh category free rating as it was rated for for video so it uh, fits the bill uh, check out all the social media links available in the show post or on the website including facebook and twitter and instagram and uh, itunes uh, feed to subscribe to the podcast on fire Net- network is available there as well and uh, all that good stuff you can also stream us on stitcher and spotify or wherever you find podcasts so the rundown, we, we packed a lot into this show despite only covering one movie because this film generates topics, very direct ones, very related ones. Uh, so first we'll break down sort of in basic terms. Uh, what is Bruce Bloitation and how it 
manifested itself uh, onto the dark uh, onto the dark place <laughs> into the sunken place uh, but into the onto the marketplace uh, in the wake of uh, Bruce Lee's uh, passing uh, Joshua will then break down and sort of reference a few examples of um, these movies that are located in Bruce exploitation subgenres uh, it really goes um, it's not just uh, kooky movies only they you can find different kinds of Bruce Lee copy movies doing different things uh, sometimes respectable sometimes not respectable sometimes just out of their freaking minds in terms of uh, ideas uh, uh, we'll then uh, cover the career of uh, Betty Ting Pei who stars in this movie whose apartment Bruce died in in real life and then Joshua will also talk of sort of the cause of uh, Bruce Lee's death and some of the theories surrounding it as well, because it's suitable that he talks of these things rather than me reading of Wikipedia, because this is really, in, in all seriousness, it's part of his sort of knowledge database, being a nurse anyway, so uh, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and try and uh, be an authority on uh, the medical uh, medical things and the science uh, between uh, behind it all. Uh, and we'll then conclude the episode by reviewing the film, and timestamps are available in the show post so you can navigate around the episode. We'll take a short music break, and then we'll start talking uh, Rosalie and I and uh, all the background that uh, sort of led up to its uh, manifestation, I suppose. So sit tight, and we'll be right back. Welcome back, and uh, first of all, uh, Bruce Lee and I is from 1976, done at Shaw Brothers, uh, and the uh, plot goes as uh, follows. Uh, the movie is mainly Betty Ting's story with um, uh, with uh, Bruce Lee, her life with Bruce Lee, and her, her own life uh, based on, so to say, real-life events. Uh, truth-telling is not this film's <laughs> strong suit, let's just say that. The uh, movie opens with Betty and Bruce rolling around in bed uh, around the time he died. It continues with Betty telling uh, her story to, uh, to a bartender, uh, her beginnings when she was a loner schoolgirl that just loved movies, man. And uh, she meets uh, Bruce when uh, he saves her from a beating one night and gives her some money. She then attempts to break into showbiz and meets Bruce again. And from that point, they become lovers until his death. So, it's a big subject, Bruce exploitation uh, or bruce exploitation and covered by better writers and podcasters elsewhere i'm sure i mean hey heck there's even an upcoming or there's been a released book on uh, on uh, this phenomenon uh, uh, but i think it's wise we define the term that will come up a few times during this podcast and that is bruce exploitation merging bruce lee and exploitation so um it's in all in all simplified uh, manner in the wake of bruce lee's uh, sudden passing at the peak of his uh, fame he, you know he had established himself as a Cinematic, commercial, charismatic uh, image, person, presence. And since there are always savvy uh, producers out there, I'm sure they were all scrambling to find a new Bruce Lee, uh, even if he had not sadly passed away. Um, I'm sure there was like, uh, fi- find someone so we can make this, the, the, the Big Boss movie uh, in our way, or the Fist of Fury movie uh, our way. So it's not just, um, you know, m- movie business is what it is. Uh, so in the 70s, um, 
we saw the emergence of a series of actors uh, not only from Hong Kong, but also South Korea and Taiwan. And they began starring in similar films to the select few Bruce starred in as an adult. But uh, instead of finding, you know, another talented martial arts star for all of this, like Jackie Chan was uh, groomed as a new Bruce Lee, but sort of found found his own path and voice without falling too deep into this Bruce exploitation hole. But they didn't go down that route, these savvy producers. The choice was made that the name and the image was too strong to abandon, so not only copy films were produced, whether riffing on Big Boss, Fist of Fury, or the incomplete Game of Death even, but actors emerged mostly sharing the screen name Bruce, uh, such as uh, Bruce Lai, Bruce Le. Bruce Lung, Dragon Lee, and they had somewhat to vague likeness to Bruce Lee, and that was good enough for producers. Just slap a, you know, a pair of nunchucks and a tracksuit on him, and uh, we have uh, a totes uh, valid thing. And of course, it is a valid thing because movie business is shameless. So, so films rehashing storylines did come out. Uh, retitles were put into circulation, adding Bruce in it so promotion within Asia and internationally could do, could do its thing. So we had everything from Enter the Game of Death, Bruce Lee, True Story, Bruce's Secret, Bruce's Deadly Fingers, Bruce Lee the Invincible, Bruce Lee in New Guinea, My Name Called Bruce, which is a fantastic title, I love that, <laughs> My Name Called Bruce, a Blind Fist of Bruce, and of course... Completely clownish, but also creative endeavors, in all honesty, uh, that decided not to emulate an existing film, but instead make a nutty one of their own came out, such as the clones of Bruce Lee. You know, as Bruce Lee dies, a scientist makes more of him. (laughs) I mean, that's such a dumb idea, but I love it. And in The Dragon Lives Again, Bruce fights Dracula and James Bond in the afterlife. I think he bumps into Clint Eastwood's The Man With No Name character and Satoichi at one point. Um, and uh, that uh, happens into Dragon Lives again. And that's what I connected to more within Bruce exploitation. Uh, I-, I thought that was a creative thought process uh, where the idea sort of went off the reservation and they did it. Uh, they weren't really mimicking Bruce Lee or making fun of him even. He was just an inclusion, really. I mean, in The Dragon Lives Again, Popeye the Sailor Man is in it as well. Popeye the Sailor Man. That's my favorite. Played by Eric Tsang, a future <laughs> comic <laughs> actor and director and producer. Pinnacle of his career, obviously. Yeah, that, that, that movie deserves a better showcase uh, oh, yeah. sometimes. But uh, we'll see if uh, 4K is in the stars. It's the probably Dragon one of those things again. where... It uses so much like music ripped from elsewhere, you know, without paying royalties, oh, yeah. that it's probably difficult to uh, get an official release of it, you know. Including, uh, obviously, the uh, prolific uh, Popeye the Sailor Man uh, <laughs> uh, soundbite. <laughs> and the Exorcist and James Bond. And, <laughs> like, Jesus. But you got to give it to them. They, they had ideas and they put it all in movies. But then you have examples where Bruce's legacy is honored in both a hyster- and in both a hysterical and heartwarming way, such in such as in Sam Hong's movies Enter uh, the Fat Dragon. I, I really love that film because uh, it's it's funny as heck. But uh, Sam's heart is in the right place, and he he's a he's a he's a great mimic. Uh, really, uh, as he uh, mimics uh, Bruce Lee as someone who is infatuated with uh, with him uh, as a character. Really great movie. And but then you have the polar opposite to all of this like Game of Death, like the officially completed Game of Death with, uh, you know, added new footage and uh, new storylines that is uh, supposed to sort of um, 
uh, make it a feature movie, and then they add a little portion of Bruce's footage originally filmed for uh, what was an incomplete uh, project. And I mentioned Polar Opposite because, in my view, this was a high-profile piece of exploitation that offended me the most out of these productions. Because not only is Game of Death dull, with only a select few action scenes supervised by Sammo Hong that, that are really lively, but, you know, these makers, you know, it was directed by Robert Klaus of Enter the Dragon fame. But these makers, using their silly fictional plot, had the audacity to feature real documentary footage from Bruce's public funeral, including him and the casket. And I, I know I'm not offended by many things, and I'm such a hypocrite, I should. That, those few seconds in Game of Death, just it just bugs me still to this day. And the movie isn't fun, either. If the movie had been like a ball of wise. Yeah, okay. But no, I think Game of Death is so fucking dull. That's the worst villain ever. Someone said on a commentary uh, that... Uh, uh, well, I heard so, so, someone said it's like having Grandpa Simpson as your villain. In Game of Death. <laughs> We're waking up in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> um, Dean Jagger, I believe, uh, his name. I think the worst part about it is the fact that it's basically made by his like quote unquote friends, you know, people that were close to him, knew him, the studio. Yeah, that fucking, yeah that, that had such personal connections with him, you know, and it's like, wow, they just made the sh- not only the shittiest of Bruce exploitation films, but just like acted like he wasn't anything you know just like you know whatever you know let's just piece together the, this footage so we can make a little you know a couple bucks uh there's there's a few things to recommend um but not not um not a whole lot uh either. game of death 2 was so much better mm-hmm. yeah T- tower of death is probably like it's yeah. it's for half a movie maybe it's it's in this bruce exploitation camp and then it's james bond time and it's so good and then like the use of the bruce footage is like so much better than what klaus did you know like they were it blended so so much better but but it's way better when they don't have to rely on reusing any footage at all because they kill off the billy low character and then bobby low comes in and then you can have facetime for the bruce lee double and just fucking forget about using yes. into the dragon footage and just have a mm-hmm. stupid time and T- tower death is so, such a great time well produced as well yeah to boot um back to shore brothers who were obviously a company setting trends uh, going where the audience demand was or creating audience demand via the emergence of wuxia in the 60s kung fu in the 70s and that decade also so studio expand more into horror and adult content like women in prison films and therefore the films that didn't didn't need to be clean and wholesome i suppose and uh, uh bruce lee and i could find a place in the studio therefore being a bit of a naughty film you might think, interpret that it's a bit vindictive to a degree since bruce uh, the history there is that bruce opted not to sign with Shaw brothers in the early 70s and instead made his name at golden harvest instead and just blew up you should be the judge of that if they're vindictive as they're making this uh, this movie. It's also said and prepare prepare yourself to go into shock and gasp. Much of what you see in Bruce Lee and I isn't true at all. <gasps> the only thing Bruce Lee and I got right was the location of his death. You know the address. <laughs> they got that right, <laughs> and uh, and and that he that he was Bruce Lee. I suppose they got that right too. <laughs> 
uh, was he called David Lee, Bruce Lee? I don't know. The rest was essentially questioned, probably at the time and over time, with uh, people saying this affair didn't occur, or Bruce Lee was out of Hong Kong when events in the film were said to have occurred. And uh, But maybe he did have oversized images of himself in his <laughs> own personal gym slash, slash home. I can't say that isn't, it, it, there might be some validity to that. You know, I mean, he was apparently suffering from this brain issue and brain disease, Joshua. Haven't you? Haven't <laughs> you gone to school? Brain disease. <laughs> and so, you know, when he got back home and he saw pictures of himself everywhere, it was a nice reminder. Oh, this is my house. <laughs> I didn't walk in the wrong door, so that was that was nice. A, a few too many nunchucks to the head in his youth, maybe, <laughs> <laughs> as he tried to master it. <laughs> brain disease. Uh, but since Joshua has made it his life mission to not only help people in real life, but also research the fuck out of all things Bruce Broitation, I want to hand over Reigns uh, to him a, a bit. And, and I say that with all love, because uh, you're doing a smashing job putting together your personal projects that have nothing to do with the podcast, really. We won't do a deep full dive on Bruce Broitation now, because we're, we're going to be here for hours, if so, and uh, it uh, it needs visual demonstration to be honest but i think it's neat how there were so many of them there both them and also the movies that they, they can be broken down into different types of exploitation movies into subgenres uh, uh, because, because as i said there were movies that were similar to those bruce made had similar content and then they some went down the route of uh, making it all uh, both crazy but uh, documentary like uh, biographical like whether true or not and uh, let's uh, do a little deep uh, dive on the different subgenres if you will so I'm gonna hand over to Joshua here uh, to uh, tell us uh, some stories about um, some movies if you if you will I find that Bruce Ploitation is similar to just Cat 3 in general because here in the States I don't know how it you know was over in Sweden but like when you grow up and you're a teenager and you're going through everything horrible as far as like horror movies and like disgusting films and et cetera, et cetera, and you're trying to get your collection going. When you look up like Cat 3, the only thing anybody ever would talk about that was even labeled as Cat 3 were like the grisly true crime dramas. So much of Cat 3 is associated with that in my head even and the head of many americans i'm sure like you'd go through the oh god i can't even remember the name of like there was a company in florida they used to sell like crazy mondo movies you could get of course your lucio fulci and you can get your dario argento and you can get your cat three stuff you could also get child brain surgery and which oh, you know <laughs> but they would always have like you know cat three would always be these true crime films so you think of can that I just as, ask you something why is that even on film uh, was it filmed for medical purposes i'm sure it's filmed for medical purposes uh, the only re- reason that one comes to mind is I remember some guy in England got arrested because he ordered stuff from them. And I think that was one of the movies in there. And I was just like, why the fuck was anybody ordering that? Relabel your shit is what I'm saying. <laughs> Fluffy bunny time. I don't, I, you know, I don't know. That was probably a bad idea on his part. Cat 3, obviously it's a rating. But like if you consider it a genre, there's like multiple, multiple genres. And exploitation, which is a subgenre of the Kung Fu film, also has many different types of films within it, you know. And right now I'm currently creating a little mini documentary, part of my weird cinema channel on YouTube. 
If anybody wants to go watch it, I've got uh, hit that subscribe button and that notification hit button. Hit hit the bell. <laughs> Press subscribe. Anyway, uh, yeah, uh, I do like deep dives into genres and stuff like that. And you know, honestly, I do so much video editing and stuff. It takes like six months to complete something, especially when you're a full time nurse and a father and a husband. You know, so you don't get a whole lot of free time. But anyway. I've been doing a Bruce Bluetation episode, and honestly, I'm not like a professional expert on the subject, but you know, I've been going to the experts and stuff and trying to gather as much information. But personally, for the Bruce Bluetation quote unquote genre, I don't like to look past like the 1980s uh, because everything after that kind of becomes tainted with nostalgia and remembrance for Bruce and. It, you don't find a lot of like true exploitation after that point, you know, like a lot of people bring up Shaolin soccer because of the goalie. But I mean, you wouldn't consider that to be exploitation. Obviously, that's no, it's just... a marsh and it's funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like if Sam was a big Bruce fan. Right. Steven is there at the number two spot. He adores oh, yeah. Bruce Lee, so he would never make something in, um, in bad taste. Or Kill Bill, even. You know, it's obviously homage. You know, it's not something that somebody's trying to, like, you know, get somebody in the theater to watch because of this, you know? Yeah. But anyway, um, you certainly can find films that are often categorized as Bruce Plotation if you look in this area. But, I, you know, I stop at the 80s, personally. In the heyday of Bruce Plotation, you had biographical films. You had the wild and zany movies that we've talked about. You had the unofficial sequels, and you also had the movies that were categorized into the genre simply because they had, like, a fake Bruce Lee in the role. Honestly, a lot of Dragon Lee's films kind of fall into that. A lot of them, you know, were basically shoehorned by Asso Asia into the Bruce, uh, Bruce exploitation genre. Bruce's ways of kung fu and stuff like that. Films have nothing to do with Bruce Lee or anything like that. And they're obviously set in the feudal past. And Dragon Lee doesn't even look like Bruce Lee in it. But anyway, you know, you have multiple, multiple takes. So you asked me to talk about a few particular films, uh, one of which was uh, Fist of Fear, Touch of Death. (laughs) Sounds like a really great film. Probably a lot of great kung fu action, right? Mm -hmm. Uh. (laughs) Filmed in uh, 1980, it's uh, possibly the most shameful and disrespectful Bruce Ploitation film out there. It's a movie that portrays itself as a quote-unquote documentary for a certain amount of time, but calling it even a mockumentary would be a bit of a stretch because that classification insinuates that there's intention behind the film. And there's very little of that to be found. Uh, The only intentions are to make money off of Bruce Lee's popularity. And the basis of the film is that there's a martial arts tournament in New York that will somehow crown Bruce Lee's successor at the dawn of the 80s. And it's mostly a karate tournament. Of course (laughs) it is. (laughs) It was just a a dirty, down-and-dirty cash grab uh, from Terry Levine, who ran Aquarius Releasing. There, oh, what's the name of that documentary on uh, Netflix? Uh, Chop Saki Flicks and Kung Fu Kicks or something like that. They had a pretty good segment about the film, and they had, I think they even had an interview with Levine, or at least somebody who worked with him. They're known for a lot of trash and exploitation films of the area, some good, some bad. Uh, they made the American version of uh, a film that I, you've got to be familiar with, Zombie Holocaust. Heard of it, not seen it. Oh, my gosh. Oh. 
Can we cover that on here? <laughs> it's an Italian movie, okay. <laughs> it's fucking wonderful. Uh, Dr. Butcher MD was the American release, which is a phenomenal title. And um, he was kind of behind that. You know, I think a movie like Fist of Fear, Touch of Death kind of kind of kills a lot of that when you look at like as far as your reputation the entire production is it's like a ruse to mix new footage with two films that levine had the right to back in the day so you got this karate tournament or yeah karate tournament going on and then somehow we get mixed into like an older bruce lee film from his childhood one known as thunderstorm when he was like a child actor i forget how they the the to set up for it. It's been a little bit since I watched it, but uh, you go into that and then in the middle of that film, they're like, my grandpa was the best samurai in all of the world. And you know, <laughs> this is little Bruce, you know, he was the best samurai there was. And, da, da, da. and, then, and then it's goes back in time further to Bruce's grandfather, which was actually a movie called invincible super Chan, which, which was actually a wuxia film. So they're calling these wuxia warriors samurai, and oh my god! And Bruce is talking about getting his black belt in karate. It's miserably bad. If you know like anything about kung fu or the genre or Bruce, it's just uh, picking out the inaccuracies is kind of like shooting fish in a barrel because like it's more inaccuracies than anything else in the film. It's just one series of fuck ups after the other. Uh, <laughs> They did no research. They did not care. And instead, they just put a few fight scenes and a couple of different movies together. And uh, they even had, um, oh, what's his face from um, Hell Comes to Harlem? Uh, he was in there. It, it just They had an interview with him walking down the street smoking a cigar. And they're like, what do you think? Oh, Bruce was a good cat, man. He was a cool guy. And, da, 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 da. and then at the end of it, it's like, what the fuck? And I th- since then, he's been, you know, I uh, really wish I didn't have any part in that. And understandably, because it's not only is it one of the worst Bruce Plotation films, it's just a really, really bad movie. I mean, it really doesn't sound like a hoot, necessarily. Just uh, frustrating and uh, it's, more, it's, it's more fun to list. Uh, the content and inaccuracies than perhaps uh, perhaps watch it right so like that covers i guess you could say that covers the um the documentary style there's there's plenty of those too many of them are bullshit as well just like oh i can't remember there's another one that's very similar to um that where it's just a reason to show old clips from bruce's childhood and stuff and like if you include like thunderstorm or the kid or whatever these early bruce lee movies you could sit there and throw bruce lee on the cover and it's not a total lie that's one aspect of them then there's also the like biographical films the movies that use the clones in order to tell bruce's story which sounds like a noble attempt going into it at least some of them I feel like they do the, their best. I don't know if it's just because I'm like really sappy for Bruce Lai because he starred in so many of these, at least uh, off the top of my head, I'd say probably six or seven. But there's so many of them that he stars in. And he was obviously a Bruce fan. I didn't find that his films tend to be that exploitative. And Bruce Lee, A Dragon Story would be considered by many to be the first Bruce exploitation film. Um, it's released in the year after he was death. Uh, it's also re- referred to as Bruce Lee's Super Dragon or just Super Dragon. Uh, many of these films, by the way, I mean, if 
I don't know if it's legal or not, but you can find them on YouTube really easily if you're wanting to follow along and maybe dip your toes in. But it was released the year after Bruce Lee's death. And it kind of helped create a lot of the Bruce Lee myths and things like that, especially a lot of the follow-up films kind of followed suit with what it did. It's a fun little biopic for the most part. It's obviously not trying to stick to the facts. Uh, At the time, I don't know that there were a lot of concrete facts about everything, you know. A lot of the films that came out and fell into this genre, they would show Bruce as basically overtraining. Like, that was what killed him, essentially. A lot of times, uh, a lot of these films, they'll go into, like, uh, machinery he would use from America to train. Like... (laughs) That was what ended up killing him and stuff. But uh, they usually when they get to the end of the film, it's just like, you know, you, you see Bruce, he's at a high point, and then all of a sudden he's dead. Yeah, you wonder how um, how afraid they were to dip into uh, two facts for fear of legal uh, you know, legal pushback. So, uh, I mean, if you make up some stuff that's highly offensive, then that, that's not, necessar- not necessarily a great step <laughs> to avoid that because it makes you come off poorly. But, um, you know, I don't remember. Is this the one Bruce Lee, a dragon story that's also known as Bruce Lee, true story? I'd have to look. Right. But because I remember that I remember that there was a Bruce Lee movie that uh, I think Seon might have directed. That was also biographical in, in nature, which I believe was it was OK. You'll find most of them are, you know, it wasn't like dour or super somber, but it uh, it it, it uh, didn't uh, clown around or didn't uh, make up ludicrous stuff like Bruce Lee and I does clearly. Yeah. But anyway, this one starts off with Bruce as a young youngster in uh, Hong Kong and finds himself not approving of it. He's like going to a class and stuff and he's not approving of his teacher. And eventually they find like a homeless guy at a cemetery, him and a good buddy. Uh, and they start training with this homeless guy and he teaches him Kung Fu. So that's how Bruce got so great at Kung Fu and not no, no uh, Yip Man in this one or anything like that, unless they're saying Yip Man was like homeless and living in a cemetery. I'm not sure, but he and his friend grow up and he falls in love with this Chinese girl, but uh, she doesn't support Kung Fu and he's like, I gotta move to America. That's where I'm gonna make a fortune. And she decides to break it off right there. Great interest in movies like this are that they choose to leave out what they leave out in Bruce's life. Most of the time, you'll find that is. Uh, Linda Lee. <laughs> if you trust Bruce Plotation or this film, you believe that Bruce Lee was a nationalist who just couldn't stop thinking about China. And Linda Lee, she was just an afterthought. And the majority of Bruce's attention while in the U.S. was just getting back to Hong Kong and becoming a star in his native land. Some of this is brought on by the limitations in shooting, finding Caucasian actresses and the like. But much of it's just a combination of the filmmakers not knowing the story and inserting their wishes that they believe that their audience will want to believe, you know. The movie I'm referring to, by the way, uh, is also known as, uh, uh, it is mainly known as Bruce Lee True Story, 1976, also known as Bruce Lee The Man the Myth. Ah, yeah, The Man the Myth, that's a great one. Uh, which, which is what I remember being like, they, they try to be serious about it. Nsiyun, uh, seasonal Nsiyun producer of uh, Snake and Eagle Shadow, Drunken Master. Uh, I, I really like him as a director, and uh, mm-hmm. I think he did an okay job in that uh, in, in that one. So uh, that's one I remember. So, therefore, I haven't seen Bruce Lee, a dragon story. Keeping track of the titles is uh, <laughs> a massive undertaking. Anyway, uh, expanding on something I mentioned earlier. Then there are the movies that crank the craziness up a notch of five or one thousand. So uh, in what you dubbed um, 
Yeah, the zany exploitation films. Uh, what are two notables here? And is this where exploitation turns into genuine fun entertainment for you? It, it does. It, it, these are the movies that basically got me into the genre initially. Clones of Bruce Lee would definitely be the big one. Although, in my opinion, it's far from the most entertaining Bruce exploitation film out there. But it is like the most attention-grabbing within the genre. It's the idea of one movie featuring multiple Bruce Lee imitators that usually grabs your attention. Like the thought of a mad scientist cloning Bruce Lee. It's, it's ridiculous. Why wouldn't you want to see that? Mm -hmm. You know, and there's, there are other films that actually do this in the genre, but uh, not even nearly as effective. Uh, The plot is as simple as that. A scientist, the guy from uh, way, the dragon, uh, John Ben, the bad guy, uh, he clones Bruce (laughs) We have we have three Bruce Lees who look nothing like Bruce, but are quickly trained to be skilled warriors who are transferred and transformed into government agents. Why wouldn't work. you watch that movie? Is another is the question I want to repeat. Yes, Bruce Lee uh, clones as CIA agents. Okay, all right. Can I get the sequel? It uh it features uh, Bruce Lad, Dragon Lee, and another Bruce Lee imitator, often incorrectly referred to as Bruce Lai. Uh, it's not the same Bruce Lie from Golden Dragon, Silver Snake, or the other Asso Asia Bruce Boitation movies. His actual name, I'm not entirely sure. Even Michael Worth, who like I listen to a lot, uh, the Clones was it the Clones of Bruce Lee podcast? Clones Cast, yeah, that's a great uh, podcast if you want to listen to anything about uh, Bruce Boitation. But anyway, even he has said he's he just calls him like Bruce Number Two. <laughs> so it's uh co-directed by joseph kong film certainly has connections to the world of film arc and even asso asia clones is listed as a film arc title but it shares cast and locations with enter three dragons which was an asso asia release yeah i think that's sort of passed on to thomas tang's film arc. if you if anyone has seen the japanese widescreen screen release of clones of bruce lee that's probably on youtube as well it opens with the classic film arc logo so i have a feeling it's sort of passed over to thomas tang after him and Joseph Lai and uh, parted ways to be uh, to form different companies. Do you think like they want like they they broke up right? And so Joseph Lai is like, well, I want Inner Three Dragons, and, and Thomas Tang's like, well, I want Clones of Bruce Lee. Fine, and that's what they did. It's like a fifty-fifty split. Clones of Bruce Lee is a marginally better film because it's uh, mostly coherent. Uh, Inner Three Dragons is kind of not, but uh, Kong's output is hit or miss in this area. He directed Bruce's Deadly Fingers and Enter the Game of Death, which are both widely respected as positive entries in the genre, but flicks like Inner, Inner Three Ninjas and Clones are kind of, uh, in terms of like their capacity to tell a story. It features a lot of campy sci-fi elements, as well as like a lot of espionage. It feels like it shouldn't be in the same movie. Uh, Clones has earned a reputation as a cult oddity. However, there's a lot of downtime throughout, and the campy outrageousness doesn't really hang around enough to warrant searching it out first, in my opinion. I mean, a lot of people I know love it. I mean, we call all these people clones, so, I mean, it, it's definitely made its mark on the genre. But uh, the other film we've mentioned, Dragon Lives Again, that's probably the other, the second. There is someone we haven't uh, mentioned a whole lot, Bruce Lung. Uh, l- l- later famous for playing the Toadmaster in Kung Fu Hustle. So, uh, and uh, carved out a decent career for himself uh, even before that. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, he, he was one of them. But uh, 
to my memory, it wasn't extensively uh, used. There's a few of them. I can't think of off the top of my head, but like, uh, ah, shit, the one where he was like fighting Italians or something. Anyway, uh, yeah, he wasn't in a lot of them. You're thinking of a movie called Kidnapping Rome, by the way. It just struck me. Bruce Lung is in that, that movie for director Museum. So you might be thinking of that. It's like a wacky Italian characters and then Bruce uh, Lung and uh, a young Mang Hoi. It could be, but it was a, it goes by another title that I'd be more familiar with. Right. This is probably Dragon Loves Again to me is probably the the movie that got me into Bruce exploitation. Like I, I saw Bruce Lee fights back from the grave a few years before that. Oh boy, oh boy. And <laughs> that's that is a horrible, horrible movie, but I love it. And uh that one definitely kinda like made me a partial fan, but Dragon Loves Again was just like, Wow, this is just insane. This is they, this none of this is legal. And it's madness caught on film. Bruce Lee, moments after his death, he finds himself in hell. Not in purgatory, not in heaven, not in the afterlife. He is in hell. So metal. <laughs> Bruce Lee has went to hell. and But in hell, he's in good company, at least, because he runs into Popeye, the sailor man, Blondie from Good, Bad, and the Ugly, Emmanuel from the European erotic films, <laughs> Dracula. And a litany of other characters that should be protected by copyright laws, but somehow they are not. Uh, Bruce begins a war with a new set of enemies, and overall we get a campy crazy, but overall fun romp. And I can't recommend it high, more highly. It's just outrageous in the old way that the old Union Clan films were, like Taoism Drunkard and things like that. If you're, if you're drawn, drawn to Bruce Bruceploitation, you're going to be drawn to the wacky elements of that film and in spades yeah it's a memorable one i haven't seen it in a dog's age but um it, it always uh struck me as crazy ideas uh, put to good use uh, really uh not respectable filmmaking but it's uh not uh, disrespectful to bruce because as i said well, you know it, it isn't it isn't out there to sort of satirize and mock his real life persona because he's not in real life here he's <laughs> <laughs> in the yeah. afterlife the movie begins with Bruce being wheeled to meet the devil on a gurney. Straight from the hospital to hell. <laughs> He's got a sheet covering him in the same way we would a dead body. But he has what looks like a giant phallus sticking up in the air. Uh, looks like Bruce died with a boner. You know, I guess that's the Betty Ting Pei reference. They pull back the sheet and what's sticking between his legs a pair of nunchucks. Mm. He didn't have a boner at all. He's ready to fight. Unbelievable. That's the fun out of the way. Let, let, let's try and uh, sort of um, untangle the more complex matters here because I, I'm going to get into this eventually. I'm going to make my own set of notes to keep track of all the AKAs and stuff because it really gets more complex when you get into the territory of un- unofficial sequels. You know, filmmakers going back to the well, whether they have a blatant Bruce Lee copy or not at the forefront. Uh, so, you know, Let's just pick a few here. So, mind breaking down how Fist of Fury 2, not new Fist of Fury, fares or fits into all of this. Uh, the, the unofficial sequel thing can get you into trouble because the aliases in the genre is just so plentiful. Uh, for instance, there's an Asso Asia title best known as Bruce Against the Odds. Uh, that was originally a Korean film uh, purchased by Joseph Lyon Thomas Tang and re-released with uh, this new sensational title. The original film was known as Lone Shaolin Avenger or The Mighty Four. 
Uh, so that's three titles we got for it so far. But what gets weird is it also had a UK release as Big Boss too. I, I, I need to go lay down. This is already tiring. <laughs> I'm already tired. <laughs> Obviously, the film has nothing to do with Bruce Lee's Big Boss. And then there's the Lost film, Big Boss Part 2. It's kind of tricky. Like uh, previously, I'd said, oh, well, like in my documentary, which I now have to re-record, uh, that it had never been released, uh, at least not in the modern era. But now... There is a viewing that's going to take place probably by the time this comes out. It'll have happened well in the past, but at like the New Beverly in Los Angeles, they're going to be showing the Big Boss Part Two. But uh, originally, this was lost for years and years, and it's got like Chan Wai Man and Bruce Le and uh, Lo Lee, and uh, it's got an all-star cast. Is that the one that returned to like the the actual Thai locations from the Big Boss? Yes. Okay. It's supposed to end in the uh, the ice house or whatever. There had been a few minutes of the movie released on YouTube a while back. There was a collector who had bought the film and he's just shelved it. But apparently there's another uh, copy out there that they've got and going to be showing at the New Beverly. It's like, fuck, I wish I could go see that. But So that's another big boss. Fist of Fury probably does get the most love when it comes to like sequels uh there's fist of fury 2 fist of fury 3 new fist of fury last fist of fury uh there's at least one more fist of fury <laughs> not on top of my head fist of fury 2 and 3 are bruce Lai films and they're pretty heavily revered within like the bruce exploitation fanboy fan base quentin tarantino has went on record and stated the preferred fist of fury 2 with bruce Lai over the original fist of fury and it's a pretty valid uh, take. It's directed by Lee Sonam of the Hot, the Cool, and the Vicious fame. And it's uh, a very patient and uh, story. And it crafts this vengeance tale for Bruce Lai, who plays Bruce Lee's brother from the original film. Uh, and he comes back to find the Chinese basically just groveling to the Japanese. He's shown to be the only Chinese with any backbone. And he takes as much as he's willing to take before finally beating the hell out of everyone in his way. Uh, it's entire wish fulfillment, which is something that it makes sense because Tarantino in his recent years has kind of like gotten off on that too. You know, fuck Hitler, we're going to kill him in uh, my film and fuck Manson, we're going to kill him in my film too. You know, it's that wish fulfillment. And uh, well, it's a genre that's known for making things up. So uh, right. why not uh, do it well, I suppose. Exactly. The Last Fist of Fury is a South Korean Dragon Lee interpretation of the film with the whole Japanese are bad rhetoric. Uh, it's not as special as some others, but it's just it's not just borrowing the title without any context, with, which is something that you see sometimes. New Fist of Fury is about as close to a real sequel as it gets, mainly because it's directed by Lo Wei. This one at least has like returning actors, the same director... It was mostly a coming out celebration for Jackie Chan, whom many thought would be the new Bruce Lee. I have a feeling low way for that. I don't think many people saw that. In you don't Jackie. think so? No, I mean it's 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 kind of. I I really dislike the full version of New Fist of Fury. I have the Blu-ray with the short version. It's such a boring movie at two hours. Uh, so I I don't really think it, it it has some great action towards the back end, but uh, I can't see any um, reason to further expand on that persona of Jackie Chan's and Lowe realized that and therefore didn't really with Shaolin Wooden Men and then let uh, Jackie uh, try out some comedy and then you had, you know, Fearless Hyena and so forth. So they really got away from that quick. 
I do love the like the last probably twenty or thirty minutes of the film. Yeah, yeah, that's all right. I, I do. I think that's pretty great stuff. But the way, but when he does the floaty hands things, uh, just like Fist of Fury, yeah, it, it's really <laughs> like this isn't renewing, this isn't expanding, this is just uh, uh, rehashing the past, trying to to hit it as well, and it doesn't. It's not Jackie's fault. He would craft a persona of his own and find his own path. It's just a low way. Trying desperately and it didn't work. Yeah. So, uh, but but that run of low way movies leading up to Jackie's uh, stardom, I really find fascinating, and a lot of them pre- are pretty cool. Um, as I said, um, uh, Shaolin Wooden Man is pretty cool. Uh, Snake and Crane, Arts of Shaolin, uh, which wasn't a low way directed film. Uh, Dragon Fist, which is a low way directed film, probably the best out of that bunch that he did for low way. And uh, yeah, so uh, it worked out eventually. It's just basically similar plot. Japanese are assholes, Chinese are in hiding and trying to not die. <laughs> and ultimately, Jackie has to fight him, and it leads to a killer showdown at the finale of the film. Yeah, it, uh, it got pretty hardcore towards the end. Uh, and it's also a movie where you can see Jackie pre-eye um, surgery, whatever that surgery is called. Uh, so you can see his, his yeah. eyes are quite different yeah, at that point in his career. Uh, let's get back a little bit to uh, Bruce Lee and I. We mentioned Betty Ting Pei, and since she is co-starring in Bruce Lee and I and uh, was a key component in his life, for better or worse, uh, <laughs> you know, she's not very liked, I suppose. Um, I thought we'd share some biographical notes on how she came to be associated with Bruce Lee as uh, he died in her apartment, uh, after all. Uh, she's Taiwanese, born in 1947 and started acting in 1963 for the Central Motion Picture Corporation. And after a few films, she was noticed by Shaw Brothers director Pan Lei, who put her in two movies. Poisoner's Rose and Purple Shell, starting in 1966. She became a regular of uh, the Japanese Shaw Brothers director Inoue Umgetsu, who made The Brain Stealers, The Millionaire Chase, The Singing Escort, really popular Shaw Brothers director, and um, and, and a, a good craftsman as well. Hong Kong Nocturne was a little musical a musical thing from the director from the 60s at Shaw Brothers. She was put in musicals, but... Um, you know, I, I haven't seen all of those. I'm not t- terribly familiar with how much she's in those. Uh, but it's also said she performed in some more adult-related material in her filmography. Possibly um, in the film. I mean, I'm, I'm taking a chance here. Possibly some erotic content could be found in this Shaw Brothers anthology film. Adultery Chinese style. Ooh. You know, you you think that. Uh, but um, she, she freelanced more from 1973 and onwards, making movies for, for Golden Harvest, including appearing in Michael Hoy's hit comedy, Games Gambler's Play. She was in Stoner, alongside George Lazenby and Angela Mao. Uh, but uh, was, of course, uh, back in uh, the Shaw Brothers fold for uh, Bruce Lee and I, uh, which is noted as a shared venture in terms of production companies, uh, that, that it was a shared venture between Shaw and B&B Film Company, and that is actually her production company, the only film they made, according to Hong Kong Movie Database. Um, and so make of that what you will. Maybe she, if we have that one movie in us to tell my story, then I'm then I'm done. Then I can drop the mic and uh, get out. Until she wrote her book. <laughs> yeah, until she wrote her book, indeed. Uh, her last acting appearance, Betty Ting Pace, uh, was in the 1985 Shaw Brothers drama My Name Ain't Susie, starring Pat Ha and a young Anthony Wong, then Anthony P. 
Harry. Uh, but most people set uh, their eyes on her and her affair with Bruce Lee. She, she was obviously in the news. Um, uh, they reportedly met in 1972 and became friendly to the point where they would go on dates, despite Bruce being married to Linda Lee at the time. Attention increased dramatically since it was reported Bruce Lee had died on July 20th, 1973 in Betty Tinkpay's apartment. Her account is that uh, he was there to go over uh, the script for Game of Death, which uh, would have included a large role uh, for her. And as as you all know, uh, the film was never completed by Bruce. He shot a bunch of fight footage, but uh, none with Betty or none with um, or, or no narrative footage that has survived anyway with uh, with Betty. Um, and uh, during the evening, Bruce complained of a headache. Um, and uh, you'll have to help me with the pronunciation of what Betty gave him a pill of. Uh, what is the medication called? Equagesic. That would be my pronunciation for it. It's such a rare uh, medication in this day. And I don't even think they make it as a... And I don't think anybody actually produces it anymore, but that would be my way to pronounce it. And it's apparently a strong aspirin-based drug. And uh, he went to try and sleep off the headache, and sadly he never woke up. And Bruce Lee was rushed to a hospital where he was pronounced dead, and straight to hell he went. <laughs> <laughs> they, rolled, they rolled him right down yeah, the hall. Get out of here, you and your nunchuck or your bone or whatever. <laughs> ah, I don't have like the notes in front of me, but like a lot of the stuff that is said about Bruce's death, and I don't know if it's in my notes later, but like uh, it just huge huge delay in getting him to the hospital because mm. of him being at her apartment i guess we can get into that later yeah we'll we'll discuss more in the course of death below i, I want to um, do it here because joshua has done some better research um, since her dates or possible affair with bruce became public therefore she was certainly not looked at favorably by fans and uh, betty tingpay received uh, death threats as a result um, but she moved on she married in 1976 to charles hung uh, he's an actor in god of gamblers he's the bodyguard of chai fat's character in uh, god of gamblers and he, he's in the series uh, throughout the series he's also the founder of wins entertainment and china star entertainment and a very successful film producer. Uh, Betty Tingpei had a daughter uh, with Charles and they divorced in 1980. She then devoted her life to Buddhism but as uh, time went by the shadows uh, of the events leading up to Bruce Lee's death meant at some point Betty would address this again and uh, she did uh, on a couple of occasions in the new millennium. She announced plans to write her autobiography in 2003 and she admitted during a radio appearance uh, three years later that um, her and Bruce Lee were lovers for more than a year prior to his passing. That book remained something she kept focused on. She was productive, but uh, there's a bit of a cagey quote uh, from her about uh, having to halt it indefinitely due to it not being the right time due to complicated contents involving other people, which suggests to me that she couldn't write just any old shit until you know Lee's family or even the foundation or his widow weighed in and you know clear cleared stuff. So. Just speculation on my behalf, but um, uh, fast forward to 2013, she also clarified events um, on the day of Lisa's death uh, that the two did not have sex uh, that evening. And in her 2015 book, The Best Time with Bruce Lee, um, that book was uh, finally released in 2015 and was called The Best Time with Bruce Lee. Didn't do a whole lot of research, but it suggested to me that there is no English translation of it um, uh, I saw it listed on Amazon or uh, some other websites, but only in uh, Chinese. To be honest, I'm not terribly interested. It's just one of those <laughs> things. I mean, uh, they, they probably did have an affair, and uh, that's pretty sad. And, uh, and then he's sad he died. So I, I have no interest to sort of fill in the gap. So I can turn to movies for that, Joshua. <laughs> they do that very well. <laughs> I can watch bullshit movies and 
<laughs> that's enough for me. No, I would I would love to actually read that just because of the research that I'm doing and everything like that for this. That would have been great to have. But, uh, you know, how much of it can you really trust? I mean, I don't know. I mean, it, it's kind of become in recent years just uh, a throwaway fact that Bruce Lee was having an affair and he died at uh, this woman's apartment because they were having an affair, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't know. I mean, I, nobody knows. I mean, she says she had an affair with him. We know a lot of what she said uh, has not been truthful. Uh, I've heard that about the book, even, that uh, the dates she uses and stuff like that's wrong. Bruce Lee wasn't in the country, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, it's it's a tough one. It's like I don't want to sit there and just be the one to sit there. And, yeah. Oh, yeah, he was definitely having an affair when we don't know. Only the people that know is really her and Bruce, I guess. And, uh, I mean, we, we talked about this uh, pausing, and I think it's wise to perhaps go back to some of the speculation that's out there uh, surrounding Bruce's death. Uh, not in a conspiracy sense, maybe, but, uh, you know, I, I wanted to focus a little bit more medically on what's sort of known. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, obviously, we have a professional at hand here uh, that's absorbed uh, what this movie theorizes uh, via research, and obviously... Um, he uh, he can do proper research. So let, let's ask Joshua what his conclusion would be uh, in terms of what was the cause of Bruce Lee's death, you think? Let's go to Josh. Let's have him solve this medical mystery from the <laughs> 1970s. Uh, his death, from all that I've seen, has been chalked up to cerebral edema. Edema is swelling of tissues, in case you didn't know. But uh, the cause of that edema is where all the theories and confusion comes into play. Cerebral edema is an acute condition meaning it's something that acts like that. It's not like a usually a chronic thing, or if it is a chronic thing, it's not to this level, you know. Usually it has a handful of causes, uh, stroke, uh, some infections like meningitis, uh, traumatic brain injuries. Those are the usual culprits. Uh, cerebral demon, it's a fancy word for brain swelling, like I said. Inside of your skull, there's a very minute, minute amount of... Uh, room that you have to play essentially so if the brain the tissue starts swelling inside of there it starts taking up what very little room you have inside of the cranial vault it creates tons of pressure inside it can cut off the blood flow to the brain which then causes further death to other brain cells and brain tissue uh, that leads to more swelling and if it goes too far you can have like brain herniation where the brain begins to shift into a new area and that is almost always fatal i don't know how many facts out there there are of um, any documented trauma that bruce suffered and i'm not sure anything is out there in terms of uh, medical records being available that uh, he was uh, he had uh, complaints about this before and or maybe right uh, admitted because of uh, head trauma i don't think any, any such things are out there in in mass uh, anyway no, and like when you when you say traumatic brain injury, it's usually like a car accident or something like that. It's not something that you just you don't realize happened. You know, the theories revolving around the, the cerebral edema they're, they're various. Some are insane, some are not. Most commonly accepted version of events is that Bruce Lee accepted equagesic from Betty Ting Pei uh, to cure a frequent headache that he'd been having. Uh, equizizic, which we've mentioned is uh, part aspirin and part uh, meprobamate. Uh, that's a, like an early medication used to treat like anxiety. So they call it a tranquilizer a lot. 
you know, him getting this, which was basically a tranquilizer, it, it made sense for him to want to lay down afterward. So he lays down in Beijing Pei's apartment, uh, and he never wakes up. Uh, thus, thought is that he may have had an uh, allergic reaction to one of these two items. Um, aspirin does have, uh, you know, a lot of people are allergic to aspirin. And allergies are strange things. Sometimes people take the same medication for years and years. Then all of a sudden, one day, their lips start swelling and their throat starts closing. And it's off to the hospital they go where they get a lot of steroids and antihistamines. Is cerebral edema or encephalopathy or any of these things a common allergic reaction? No. But is it unheard of? Uh, not really. Crazier things have certainly like happened. So I, I can definitely see how that's probably the likely culprit. But, you know, usually people develop hives and itching with like aspirin allergies or any type of allergy. You don't, you don't usually see people going straight to cerebral edema. Uh, another theory is that Bruce's frequent consumption of hashish may have played a role. And there have been studies that have tied some cerebral edema to hashish and cannabis usage. Uh, however, looking at those studies, which I looked at a few of them, I never saw anything re regarding like fatalities or anything that made me think that uh, this was a type of edema similar to what killed Bruce. So again, it's a possibility, but is it likely? It's very, very debatable. Another aspect of the story comes from uh, months earlier in his death. Uh, Bruce had been dubbing dialogue for Enter the Dragon in a small, confined little studio that apparently had no air conditioning. As he continued to sweat away in this little box, he eventually overheated so bad that he passed out. Uh, at the time, he was actually treated for cerebral edema, from what I understand. However, this incident is viewed in different ways as uh, possibly illuminating the final moments of Bruce's life. From what I understand, Bruce had a follow-up uh, about this in the United States. And I believe, in the, you know, sometimes you read on these things, out of, you read these different articles online, and you're like, what to believe kind of thing, you know. But um, basically, I don't know how legit the sources are, but I believe he was either diagnosed with epilepsy or, or was in the process of being worked up for it. Either way, uh, multiple places I read uh, that he was prescribed Dilantin or Phenytoin for this. Uh, it's a common, though older, anticonvulsant. Uh, it's a medication that requires lab draws to make sure you're not having too little or too much of the medication, and it can become toxic. So what does all this mean? Uh, if Bruce really was epileptic, there are a couple of theories that could lead to cerebral edema. One would be that if Bruce had a seizure and this led uh, this led to cerebral edema, uh, well, while seizures aren't well known to cause fatalities, there have been complications that can arise. There's a uh, SUDEP, sudden unexpected death in epilepsy, which certainly could be a cause. Uh, personally, I've had a patient uh, before in the hospital who slipped into a tonic clonic seizure and then that turned into an ischemic stroke there's also that it might be conjecture and i don't have a lot of information that i could divulge but in the case of a seizure of this sort uh, it is given that blood pressure becomes elevated though you know when somebody's actually having like a tonic clonic seizure it's hard to get exact numbers on their blood pressure but i can assure you that it's almost always very high but anyway, a hypertensive crisis, elevated blood pressure, can and does lead to ischemic strokes. With elevated blood pressure caused by the uh, potential seizure, that could have led to stroke, that could have led to death. But did Bruce have a stroke? I have no idea. From all accounts, it sounds as if Bruce arrived to the hospital dead or dying 
and whether or not uh, he would have been stable enough to have a CT or an MRI, uh, it's hard to say. So were those tests done? I don't know. And as far as I can tell, they haven't really released his uh, biopsies or anything like that to the public. There's also a theory that when um, that what happened during the dubbing on Enter the Dragon truly was just a heat stroke, and that was what led to the cerebral edema. But there was, it was brought up by a cosmetic surgery that Bruce had previously had, where he had his sweat glands removed under his armpits. This is apparently a real thing. Apparently, Bruce didn't like having sweaty armpits, didn't like the look of it, and he had this procedure done. And some have felt that it prevented him from dissipating heat efficiently enough, which caused him to have this heat stroke earlier during the dubbing. And maybe that's what also did it to him later. Unfortunately, from what I've read, the science doesn't really support this theory. The surgery should not have stopped Bruce's body from ramping up his heat distribution and the various other sweat glands in his body. And on the day past, he spent a good amount of his day in an air-conditioned office and apartment. And as far as other crackpot theories uh, out there, uh, most either revolve around Bruce not being dead or him being murdered. His murder is usually either the Chinese mafia or the rigid martial arts instructors of the world who didn't like his teaching uh, to foreigners. And uh, Bruce exploitation is a wonderful genre to accentuate these wild conspiracy theories because so many of them cement these ideas in the minds of impressionable fans yeah a bunch of fake news really fake news so before we get on to the movie review itself i suppose i should just mention that bruce lee and i is also known internationally as bruce lee his lost days his lost nights the the film is available with a full english dubbed soundtrack in co- according to materials from celestial that there, there are uh, i've seen like excel sheets that list which movies have uh uh, dubs available to uh, to them or not uh, and so that that would mean that this movie uh, c- uh, could be available uh, dubbed in full because Shaw Brothers did their in-house uh, dubbing uh, you know themselves in Hong Kong uh, but uh, it played in America with narrative edits um, so it was a shortened version this uh, movie um, uh, Bruce uh, Bruce Lee his lost days his lost nights it played on TV and had uh, f- further trims uh, to it uh, due to the film's uh, nudity they just uh, chopped out you know, nudity or uh, stills of uh, Betty Ting Pei photographed nude uh, because there's a scene in the film where she's um, where, where a sleazy producer uh, photographs her. Uh, essentially, the Hong Kong version runs a little over 100 minutes, and the TV version we had ran 87 minutes. So there's some narrative um, uh, taken out. Uh, there's also some rearranging of uh, scenes. Uh, for instance, this US version starts with a fight scene that occurs later in the uh, in the Bruce uh, in Bruce Lee and I. So, as for my short opinion of this fucking movie, this fuck, I'll tell you, this, this, this is an example, all right? Okay, because it, it, it's it's a story from her perspective, you you should ask yourself, is it as much Bruce exploitation? Yes or no? I mean, if anything, they simplify Bruce. They go a basic uh, route of presenting his uh, stardom a little bit, how he would look during filming, his off hours, but his off hours also means he has a mixture of... Uh, moods and character aspects he has a kind streak partially he's a juvenile prankster he's kind of an asshole uh, he's insecure and uh, there and and it's so basic how they portray his medical condition of course uh, they script uh, scenes of intense headache and dialogue that, that we refer to oh my don't you know he's got brain disease and then they just move on from that like so basic <laughs> And that doesn't do any fi- uh, the film any favors as a drama. And then towards the end, there's the speech of respecting Bruce. And I, I don't buy it. Uh, what they did <laughs> wasn't respectful. So 
yes and no, it just doesn't feel like a total um, a total exploitation package because it's Betty's exploitation. I guess. Well, I don't know. It's it's a mixture of uh, those two characters, Robert and all all Bruce, uh, uh, because it's otherwise it's a standard drama that digs into the worst aspects of the film industry and the connection between Bruce and Betty as two people supposedly good for each other. It's not very affecting. They're trying, but it's not very affecting. Plus, it has a rather exaggerated visual style, sex scenes with a body double for Betty, that is not her, uh, pot smoking, hilarious interior design, and it's straight-faced goofiness, partially, but at 100 minutes, it's not uh, that easy to maintain that sort of entertainment factor that it's goofy and it's as bad they're trying but it's also running long somewhat bruce exploitation in style to mild in that uh, aspects that uh, attempts the factual real life approach uh, rather than afterlife approach but um, as we know now i don't know how much was known in 1975 1976 but as we know now much of this just seems like made up crap and <laughs> uh, you know, from her perspective therefore but some of it just seems like made up crap so on the whole, a mixed bag. I, I just wish it was a little bit more goofy, but there's some things here. So that was a little bit longer opinion, but uh, let me throw over to you for a short opinion of uh, Bruce Lee. And, Bruce Lee and I, aka Bruce Lee, his lost days, his lost nights. <laughs> Were there any clones in this one? Was there any what in this one? Clones. Uh, well, well uh, a clone of Law Way, the director. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 there were. Uh what do I think about what to, do I think about this film? Like you said, it, it's not a traditional uh, Bruce exploitation film. Although, you know, the fact of the matter is, what are they, you know, trying to make money off of? And it is everyone wanting to know what happened with Bruce Lee during the last days of his life. You know, how how did this whole relationship with Betty Ting go? You know, was he cheating on his wife? You know, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, there is a element of uh, exploitation, of course. And then on top of that, you have the sensational sex scenes and all that throughout. It's her sort of letter of apology, um, even though it rings a bit false as well. Oh, it's, yeah, it's, you know, oh, bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> it's complete horseshit. They, they, they knew what they were doing, essentially, you know. And, you know, taking jabs at Golden Harvest the whole way through, too, you know. Like, eh, you know I don't know. Eh, it's very, it's petty-petty. But is it a good movie? <laughs> well, yeah, because it paints itself as a drama. I mean, in, in general, how does it do? Is it sort of... Is it uh, does it do things with heart and uh, or and uh, with a sense of the subtle, or is it just? It, it helps not to know anything about the story, Betty, Bruce. You know, if you're just watching it as a drama, then it's a pretty standard tell of a love affair. It's kind of a fucked up like love affair where. You know, at one point, which we'll get to it, I'm sure we're going to go through the movie as is, but, you know, at one point, Betty's fucking candle is telling her, you know, to, uh, you know, stick in there. You're going to meet someone who's going to make your life so much better. Well, by the end of it, what's going on with Betty? Everybody fucking hates her. They want her to die, literally want to kill her with nunchucks. And she goes off, you know, walking down the beach or down the highway by herself for the rest of her life incredibly like depressing and weird 
it's hard to, it's a hard one to bounce back from the the amount of uh, public backlash that you did get in reality so sure. but but, uh, but yeah no, no amount of dusk beach scene with betty fresh from the funeral and choir singing a very beautiful song will make us affected in the long run uh, and i mean it's not the crime of the century that she had an affair with bruce uh, it, it, i mean it isn't a crime it's wrong and plenty wrong. plenty of girls at the time would have you know and, and and i suppose portraying herself as someone who didn't gain from this is sort of solid ethically um i don't think they, they, this was uh, the smash of 19 uh, uh the mid uh, 1970s uh, 1976 era so it's not like this uh made her uh made her name and uh, made her bank account uh all shiny if we talk a little bit about Danny Lee, first of all, um, we talk clones and how they don't look like Bruce. Danny Lee, at best, I suppose, looks mildly like Bruce Lee. He's not a dead ringer like uh, Shaolin Soccer's Danny Chan, of course, which granted played that for comedy, but I think Danny Chan did look a bit more like Bruce Lee than what you used to in terms of when people portray him or copy him or clone him. There is that, but... At no point, you know, is the illusion sort of solid. And it's kind of silly, too, that um, to totes remind us that he's Bruce Lee. Even in dialogue, Joshua, Danny mm. Lee touches his nose. It, yes. It, it seems involuntary. It's almost like, uh, what, what, while you're doing that, why don't you go like, uh, as soon as he meets Betty, he goes, whoa! <laughs> because that's Bruce Lee. So it's hard to take any of that seriously. But in, in basic terms... Do you think yeah, he matches Bruce in mannerisms, look even? You get the haircut, you get the big sunglasses that take up a good portion of your face, and you dress someone like Bruce Lee, and it's doable. You know, you, you, those glasses cover up so much of the face that, you know, you're like, okay, well, I can see the resemblance, but it's unfortunate whenever he takes off the uh, sunglasses and all those things that... You're reminded, oh, this this guy looks nothing like Bruce Lee. It's Danny Lee, <laughs> and uh, that's in for a man. I, I like to think that he. It's a. <laughs> <laughs> it is. <laughs> I know, but it's like... a much more fun role. Uh, but uh, you know, sure. uh, the director John Law. Um, uh, he wastes no time with the adult material. Uh, we we get uh, some nudity time amidst the garish, colorful 70s design. He populates the widescreen frame with all kinds of uh, uh, trinkets, uh, plays with angles, and the montage of uh, sex and pot smoking and a full-on pharmacy at the bedside you know, is what opens the movie, then he dies. Uh, so he, he doesn't go with uh, any sort of complaints about a headache, asking Betty if she has something. I'd like to lay down. No, it's... Um, he, he's just dead, but he, he's not. He's not sleeping. He's uh, he's uh, sleeping at the uh, foot of the bed uh, when he dies. So that must have been uh, one hell of a resting, you know, after he took the uh, the aspirin uh, pill. So, uh, but I guess you know you, you, you gotta get to you gotta get to uh, to the meat. And uh, John Law certainly understands that. Uh, yes, straight to the fucking and straight to the death. Um, so yeah. <laughs> So it's not like haunting or anything. Oh my God, bro, what is Bruce doing? He's destroying himself. He's smoking. He's taking all these colorful pills and then he died. No, it's just all bound, bound, chicka, bound, chicka, bound. Yeah, these guys know how to party. Oh no, he died. Oh no, he died. It's not really a hot, uh, heartbreaking to see that because in real life it was heartbreaking that we uh, that we lost him. Uh, so it's loosey-goosey with the truth, it seems like, in a way. But, but I, I got to put one thing in here, uh, Joshua. I don't know how many details were public in 1975 so i leave that fact a little bit open but we know in hindsight that this is just 
bunch of made-up bullshit. Well, you know, if only they had someone on set who knew the story and what happened with Bruce during the final uh, days of his life. You'd think uh, some consulting would uh, be in order. (laughs) Who was close to him on the day that he died? Man. Um, And also one problem with the movie, why it isn't affecting as a drama, because it sort of tries to take this relationship serious or the way they connect, uh, you know, because it's it's the movie does the connecting not through romantic connecting but uh, connecting as persons but he pushes you know early on before we even see them together but uh, he pushes uh, john law that rather unappealing melodrama of betting uh, betty shouting out her inner emotions bruce i didn't get your kill i didn't (laughs) so you know it's it and it's not refined acting uh, uh, certainly not uh, acting that has uh, stood the test of time uh, Either as she monologues to himself or it's to her inner voice uh, saying like you you are a superman you are a philosopher and it's that <laughs> it's that kind of acting and it never he she never gets that right to be honest nor does the director john law get that touch right because it's always on the cusp of melodramatic and just uh sort of standard soapy acting as well so it never gets there for me if you know if you know what i mean mm-hmm on top of it, she says these things. You, you never get a hint that Bruce is a philosopher in this movie. You know, Bruce just comes across as kind of a childish. Uh, Certainly idiot. not developed emotionally. He doesn't come off as uh, sharp emotionally uh, because he, he gets he, he sulks, and then he takes yeah. out uh, takes out the alcohol and uh, and uh, his hateful Westerners as well, which we'll get to. Like, uh, where did that fucking come from? <laughs> Um, of course, in the bar scene that uh, acts as uh, our storytelling uh, device, and she tells the story of herself and Bruce. In the bar scene, of course, Bruce's diehard fans, they're the nunchuck club in their nunchuck t-shirts with the nunchucks, and they turn up to hurt her. Which also, it's not threatening, it slips into Goofy, and I wish, if the movie were a bit tighter, um, I mean, the export cut is, but if the movie was a bit tighter, that would have been hysterical goofiness but it um it does drama so these guys including um the co-action director on this uh film yung Ping, his brother uh, yun chung yang he's in that scene so you know so it's kind of like hey <laughs> because those t-shirts with the nunchuck on the back that killed me it's like a uh, uh, pastel pink yeah <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so, so so it's fine structured in a way. We, we, we're here to have her story told, you know. But well, when you're playing fast and loose with the truth, at least, you know, that's the verdict in hindsight here in uh, 2021. There, the, the movie never really stands a chance here. And there's no hidden gem of an actress in her either. And again, the direction leans towards like nearly crying voiceover or, or acting of how sad she uh, was and that you know when when we look back on her childhood that uh, what she loved as a student uh, was movies and she was bullied and and she was exploited by movie producers and that's not to say that doesn't happen and and I'm I'm not sure if that did happen in her life I don't know her life story in that uh, regard uh, but what what it comes off as Joshua is a spice for the film yeah sexy stuff for the film the beginning of the film Bruce's death and the end of the film Bruce's death both present <clears throat> totally different like versions of his death. That alone, right there, like sets it up. Like, can I trust this person? You know, and what is happening in the film is everything here factual? Because 
In one version, she discovers his death. And then the other, he he dies in her arms, essentially. I, I'm not sure if they were, a try, were trying to set the, the first uh, sex scene up as another event and then some sort of mid-fucking-cutting uh, <laughs> right. leads to the night in question. But uh, it, it's shaky and uh, makes you think, oh, continuity errors galore, really. Right, and it doesn't... You know, that doesn't bode well when you're trying to believe someone, you know, that like, fuck, you just can't even get the most basic part of, you know, like, did you find him dead or did he die in your arms? You know, the the real story that that you just told, like the former statement that 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 sounds like that happened. You know, that uh, she uh, that she uh, tried to wake him up uh, rather than uh, right. It happening in front of her with uh, so much headache, so much headache. Oh my god, so much headache, spinning, spinning, spinning. And I'm not a doctor, but that seems uh, like a lot of headache. That's a yeah, that's a lot of headache. That should have been a you know. Apparently, it happened three times at least before he eventually died. So yeah, we get we get some evidence of uh, a film business that moves uh, fast. Uh, she's already been exploited, uh, blackmailed, and uh, when she's put into uh, whether it's a Shaw Brothers or Golden Harvest movie as they depict it in this Shaw Brothers co-production. The movie business having no tolerance for her not understanding that she's a body double. They say that, oh, you're the body double, the body double, uh, get the close-up. Close-up? But I thought, like, and the movie business moves so fast that I, I would buy that it has that unfriendliness and that unpleasantness. Yeah. Uh, not saying Hong Kong cinema was that. I'm more talking uh, film industry in general. So, that's a point that they, they, they sort of get right, and um, it happens all, all too often, I'm sure. Um, uh, and that it leads to suicidal thoughts for the character is fine, but it's still crude melodramatic strokes as she uh, having uh, she, she's having her own internal monologue. And as you said, then the candle speaks to her. <laughs> you don't be sad. Go, you know, <laughs> go on a different path. Try and be better. Don't be sad. Sad is bad. there's someone coming they're gonna make your life so much better even as a sort of like like, let's make an artistic statement here it's very ambiguous where does the voice come from is there a voice is there a candle like but no it's more like what the shit (laughs) what the serious everything's sort of awfully fast-tracked in a way too because uh this sets her off on a path to another city to hong kong presumably and and then she's all of a sudden going out with an elder, wealthy man, and her move worked out well and quick. So again, the movie isn't very thorough, despite 100 minutes, very thorough with uh, uh, with those details. Uh, and at the same time, Joshua, as fast-tracked as it is, it doesn't make for a film of immense pace. It's just fast-tracked without affecting or involving in her in her uh, fate as a as a person. You know, is there any fun in in the, that the movie does? try and amp the visual language of tilting the camera and uh, the classic zoom-ins and uh, how it populates the frame with trinkets or what have you. Is there any fun in uh, the way it, um, you know, in the visual language matches the uh, the garish design of the times almost? Or, or is that just, yeah, they tilted the camera, so what? Slow motion, so what? I mean, it, it's not the most visually impressive film I've ever seen, but it does have that kind of shaw quality of the time period you know there's a lot of uh very interesting sets a lot of great use of color uh bruce's bed is a trampoline a lot of interesting things to shoot and they do shoot it in a relatively interesting way 
Uh, like you said, I mean, is it just them turning the camera to the side or whatever? Well, kind of. That's basically what it is. But it still gives you something to look at, you know. So I'm, I'm not going to fault it for trying, you know. But do they, is there anything special here? No, not, probably not. It it certainly gets destroyed in pan and scan. That's for sure. Because oh I, yeah. Because I did watch the the uh, the shorter cut uh, from the cropped uh, TV print. Uh, his last day since last night. Uh, pe- people are just gone. I just things are just gone in it. Uh, mm-hmm. They they do uh, they do a little actual panning and scanning rather than just center cropping the whole thing. But this movie just is almost completely gone in pan and scan. So it's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of funny. Uh, but you know when you look at that relationship, as they he exhibits an encouraging trait. He commends her on her strength uh he seems to care for her and yes he's a flirtatious and uh but but overall he, he does seem to want to push her in the right direction rather than feeling sorry for herself or uh or in in the wrong direction and just uh, looking at herself as an erotic movie actress the movie movie starts to spell out that bruce is like that and they connect that way and then it goes into a variety of different you know bullshit truths about it all uh, but still that's a key element of the movie, Joshua, that uh, they connect that way too, and romantically. So was there anything for you there, that were, were, what Bruce speaks of and how he encourages her that says that this might be decent as a drama, as a matter of fact? <laughs> I hate to keep like, shitting on the movie, but uh, their relationship to me comes off as just... Maybe it's because of the presentation of Bruce himself. She seems like this uh, very serious character throughout, and... I keep coming back to like one of the last scenes in the movie where, you know, for for several, you know, probably 20, 30 minutes, the last half hour of the movie, they're like going back and forth. Is Betty going to be in Bruce's new movie? Is she going to be the, uh, you know, star next to him? And it it comes down to this scene where like Bruce is with uh, Raymond Chow or Raymond Kong or whatever he's called in the movie. And uh, they've agreed to allow her. So he goes upstairs to give her the good news. And, like, he basically pulls this dick move and is like, yeah, I can't even look you in the face. Uh, you're not getting the role. And, like, he keep, lets it keep going to the point where she's basically almost got a knife to her throat over there in the corner. She's like, oh, don't ever try to do anything for me again. My life is over. Why did I allow, you know, and then finally he just starts laughing in her face this is one of the last scenes we have of Bruce in the movie. Oh, what a, you know, you kidder. Like, shit, dude. You let that go way too long. You you know, you didn't set it up like a joke. It's like, fuck, that was just tough to watch. And then, you know, that's their love affair, you know? And, and he never really comes off as uh, as playful and charming, obviously, because I right. can't get a handle on on Bruce as he as he randomly jokes and laughs amid seriousness which actual characters in movies and life can do of course the variations the spice of life but it never breaks through into like the, the, this interesting character character portrayal and then when they have that extended sequence in Bruce's apartment slash gym with the oversized photos of himself on the wall so like I totally live here because that's me that's me I put myself up on the wall and and they they have a fairly long uh, straight faced uh, discussion about um, 
hard work and hard work makes you successful and what uh, kung fu should mean to you how it should be applied mentally philosophically which sounds a little bit more like the real bruce lee and uh, he argues with her that she hasn't experienced uh, tough times which is arguably not true because she was exploited but it gets so goofy that you know you you listen a little bit like that okay he's working out and uh, but he's he's telling pretty good stuff here good life lessons then it gets so goofy in the staging in the direction when bruce starts talking of his wife he does a flip onto his bed and continues his <laughs> monologue about his wife and that's a moment where you, you had me and now you're and now i'm out of it why the hell did he need to do that because i because bruce i'm very i'm very able i'm very gymnastic let's talk about my wife Phew. Uh, so for me I, I i get into it for a little bit and then it loses me um and then it's all about the design of the apartment like that what is this why well, why where did this come from where, where this doesn't seem to have a an ounce of truth to it uh, that bruce was so into himself that i'm gonna put myself on many sections of the walls if not all you know that is the only scene where bruce's wife is mentioned and uh, as far as I know, she was back and forth to Hong Kong. Like, I had, you know, read things about her and him being at meetings and whatnot. So it's like, but she's never seen throughout the duration of the film and is barely mentioned maybe in two different scenes throughout the whole thing. I mean, she he talks about there, then she's on the phone and Betty goes off uh, because they've had sex by that point. So she goes off in her bra and panties and uh, looks wistfully out of the window because she's... Uh, She's uh, not uh, primary. She's secondary, which is not a bad dramatic beat, granted. But but yeah, it's um it's uh after after that after the sensational stuff, and that in and other things that ring false. There are a lot of them, but um, I <laughs> I don't know the extent of Bruce's history. But I w- when I saw the following beat about um, that he has a grudge and a wild hatred against Westerners, I thought to myself. <laughs> I, I don't think I've heard that. And if th- that that sounds like something Quintin would make up. <laughs> for for his little fantasy once upon a time in Hollywood kind of fantasy it just sort of rings false especially with decades of do- documented biographical notes by now you know tons of books and uh, uh, you, you you have the book that you showed me by Matthew Polley which I think is quite a revered account of uh, of uh, Bruce's history so maybe maybe the makers were thinking of Wang Yu because he was a dick Jimmy Wang Yu was such a dick. He hated... Hated he, Western. He did. Yes. That, that's on record. Like the Australian filmmakers who made uh, The Man From Hong Kong. They're like, the, the stuff he did to the ladies he supposedly has a, a sexual affair with in The Man From Hong Kong. He, he was speaking of Bruce being a dick. Have you heard of Wang Yu? So maybe, they, uh, <laughs> they, maybe they were thinking of their past uh, uh, Golden Boy. It's weird how that's all connected because, you know, you start talking about Wang Yu and... He made, uh, you know, the man from Hong Kong with uh, Lazenby, George Lazenby, who had signed up to Golden Harvest for a three-picture deal because of Bruce Lee, and he was going to be in uh, Game of Death, and that's who Bruce was supposed to be going to meet that night that he died. Like, uh, he was going to go with Betty and uh, Raymond Chow, and they were all going to go have dinner with George Lazenby and just kind of celebrate the, his signing or what have you. I think they met earlier in the day, didn't they? Or the, or the, or, yes. or the meeting never happened? I think it might have been this, the contract signing or something like that. And then later that night, they were going to have dinner. And, you know, so Lazenby did end up doing the pictures with uh, Golden Harvest. and uh, Stoner? Stoner, yeah, which uh, would have been... Which she's in and would have been uh, the what the 
picture after Game of Death. Just it's weird how it's all tied together like that. And of course, in the movie, this movie, there's no mention of Lazenby. Uh, there's all this talk about Bruce's first first film with foreigners or foreign, you know, foreign money being involved, and which doesn't really seem to sit, you know, with the fact that he did Game Enter Enter uh, the Dragon had already been done at this point. Yeah, it would have to be yeah, earlier in the timeline if they were discussing Enter the Dragon, but at this time that was made. Right, but you know that was the first one with like big foreign money, and it's like doesn't make any fucking sense. I don't know. And and you wonder why that uh, history do- do doesn't get presented correctly, or they just sort of felt like, wait, well, we can take dramatic license. It's her story. It's not the story of Enter the Dragon. Do you think there's any chance that like the subtitles are miss missing something? Like maybe it's the fact that there's a big Western star in the film or well, something? Well, the thing is, the Shaw Brothers subtitles, even originally, if we would have had a cinema print, we, we have remastered subtitles. But even the Shaw Brothers, they, they, they spent time on their original subtitles. Uh, I was hoping, you'd hope and think they would get that right. Or could not mention it, who knows? You, you can't mention Enter the Dragon by name. So, um, so yeah, who uh, knows? Obviously, these people just had no idea. <laughs> no interest in keeping this like even remotely close to reality. I am sure that Betty had very little say-so in what made it into the film. This was just a starring role for her. The movie from one from her production company, the one and only movie, so who knows how much she could wield in terms of um, producing power. Um, but do I think that Betty would have kept it to reality had she had her ch- choice? No, no. I mean, the, we mentioned Polly. I had sent you that article about basically his last evening and it's just a comedy of errors of like things that really happened when bruce lee died like in a different time different era and maybe different country they probably would have been held to legal obligation for basically what they did and ignoring bruce lee actively dying in the bed Mm. you know because like she sat there instead of calling like 911 she calls raymond chow who's at dinner with George Lazenby, who then heads to the apartment. And instead of anybody calling an ambulance at that point, they call up her, I think it was her or his like personal doctor. And they call him up and he eventually makes it over the apartment, starts trying to do CPR. And then he says, look, don't send them to the closer hospital, hospital Baptist, send them to the one that's like, of you know however many miles further away because i don't want him to die at my hospital you know he's basically already dead at this point so it's like holy shit that's a lot of time in a situation like that where someone is in respiratory arrest cardiac arrest like you know seconds might as well be hours you know you need to be on their chest doing cpr and trying to save this person's life and the entire time they're all sitting around you know down a circle jerk deciding what they're going to do and where they're going to put this body. Where's that movie? <laughs> That's that right there could be a movie because the amount of time I'm sure it was at least 90 minutes that we're talking about here. Yeah, you could do a real t- like rope or something. Yeah. Mount, mount <laughs> yes, it's just like rope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so some further notes here. I mean, uh, 
they have some fairly serious dialogue about um, when they have their one-on-ones. Uh, there are several one-on-ones, Bruce and Betty, uh, about the not wanting... She, she doesn't want to rely on his uh, support financially, uh, but uh, she doesn't mind him being a friend. And then there's the slow-mo kissing and tossing pillows between each other montage. And it's not delightful connection and sync yeah, it's goofy rather than two persons connecting without a care in the world favoring their inner chill childs which i sure was the uh, intent but it's so insecure um as a movie really and bruce is shown to be very insecure too about betty moving at one point he bursts into her apartment and uh you know, she, she doesn't live there anymore. So there's some uh, wah, 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 he was wrong. Um, so, and, and really that, that insecurity, I'm sure was in there, but um, 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 it bugs me that they push it so hard that uh, he's so mad about their movie and misses her so much that he grabs the nearest groupie. <laughs> and uh, so there, there's some extra nudity uh, there for um, for uh, for another actress. So, and you you'd think at least I would that Bruce would be more developed mentally and emotionally, but he really because he really did seem sharp uh, philosophically when you watch right. interviews with him in English or elsewhere. Like I didn't uh, think of him. I, I can't think of him as this tantrum-ridden character. And right. So it's another reason why Bruce Lee and I sort of rings falls and uh, it's really kind of crappy that they um they push this angle for for drama for someone who died just you know a year or two before well i mean when you think about how soon after this is it's like oh geez that is pretty wild yeah released in 76 but obviously filmed a little bit earlier and um, so forth yeah uh being a show brothers movie you gotta have kung fu so they shoehorn in a kung fu scene that uh, and and i'm sure my, my theory there is that um they they heard stories of Bruce being challenged. So let's have uh-huh. some people that eyes him in a bar, challenge him, and then go out to the beach for for a, for a martial arts scene, which is all sufficient. Uh, Yun Wa Ping and yeah. Tong Guy uh, directing this, and uh, it, we get a neat uh, sense of uh, Danny Lee's martial arts chops. I can't confirm right now. I'm just pulling this from memory. I think he had judo background, possibly. So he wasn't totally. Um, out of his element, he was so. I'm sure he was trained at the Shaw Brothers facilities to do movie kung fu. But it looks good on him. But whether any Wing Chun or a version of Jeet Kune Do, Do is on display, I don't know. But I think he gives it his all in the, in the fight scene, and it's really neat to see this side because it simply wasn't really utilized in all his weird short films. I mean, there was no need for this in Oily Maniac, you know, <laughs> <laughs> which is a shame. You know, the things that Yuma Ping could have done with Oily Maniac. Um, we, because we, we forgot to mention that earlier in the show. So I was like, I've got to get that in there because I really, really <laughs> like Oily Maniac. That's, you got to get the Oily Maniac reference in. Inframan, Mighty Picky Man 5, but Oily Maniac is where it is. And and, and some further final notes for me. All classic. I mean, they're fun. They, I, I, Shaw Brothers 70s is fun because they expanded the genre palette. It wasn't just exactly. Wuxia, Opera, Kung Fu. Um, and I don't think all those genres were necessarily the hot thing because there were a lot of variations of the genres. Uh, they just sort of started to expand the types of movies uh, they were doing. Uh, and uh, they, they were weird. They were wild. They were very adult in nature, obviously, uh, ranging from Bamboo House of Dolls and this and Killer Snakes and what have you. And uh, it was cool. And then in the 80s, they went batshit crazy with uh, horror and effects. And uh, then it kind of ended. But uh, what an ending it was. Um, so so some final notes here. 
there's no real affecting aura either as Betty destroys herself with gambling knowing she can't have Bruce again. They, John Lover, director, is going for the melodramatic strokes. And I'm not talking like constant crying scenes, but very, very unrefined acting that uh, <laughs> shows a director not very comfortable doing this type of drama or elevating this type of drama so 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 it really um doesn't help it and you you're looking at your watch a little bit too much i think during 100 minutes um mm-hmm. and and by the end they don't they don't even do the aspirin bit he just popped pills and smoked yeah you know in, in the editing there it's not like like honey can you get, get me an aspirin sure then here you go with your aspirin and then bruce bruce Yes. like not even that not even that they, because they're, they 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 suggest that instead and that's you know when you think about the opening montage is that their kind of version of the truth that uh, this was a party and then he died now i don't i think that what they try to do is create a very convenient uh way to protect betty ting i think you know the whole purpose of the film is probably to okay Betty is the one who's been hurt by all this. Everybody wants to kill Betty, so y'all really should you know, be nicer to Betty. Bruce, Bruce died from brain disease. Don't question it. It's you know he just had brain disease. Everybody knows that. Uh, like the guy on, on the movie set. Like, don't you? Yeah, no, got brain right? disease. Cut. And, you know, I have to mention that. Yeah, during the scene where Bruce first, you know, well, Danny Lee's first grabs his head and starts going, oh, when he starts doing that, <laughs> there is a guy. I think it's was it was it the fake low way that. Uh, another guy is speaking uh, to the fake low way, yes. So it isn't f- fake low way that says brain disease. It was fake low way that said brain disease? Oh, no, no, no. It was another guy too low way, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So low way is like, what's going on here? And some fucking grip on the movie <laughs> leans over and goes, oh, yeah, he's got brain disease. It's like, how the fuck does he know what Bruce has? <laughs> Who is this guy? Like everybody well, you know, knows, almost like the the the, the world's uh, worst kept secrets. Does he uh, have brain cancer? What's going <laughs> on here? What like what brain disease? What are we? You know, Jesus. And even if that translation is wrong, there's no sense of the movie trying to expand on it anyway. Whatever he said, he looked very confident in what he was saying. Like <laughs> that's all that matters. Don't, this is don't worry. This is what's going on. You know, like he had he had some explanation. That no one else on Earth seems to have had. That, that, that's someone deducting the correct things. Like he's got a major headache. That must mean brain disease. That's now <laughs> in the movie, and um, we got to have some sex and some sensational stuff, and uh, that'll, that'll be a wrap, people. <laughs> you know, we've done our job. There's just no explanation for anything. I mean, you got brain disease, and that's it. Be happy with that. I mean, it, it, it does make the movie come off a bit foolish when uh, it right. uh, really isn't trying that much and appears to want to appear more sexier and more sensational rather than factual. It's patronizing the audience to such a degree that it probably backfired for them. To the level of like, oh, he had brain disease. What does that mean? You know, like, no, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Keep going. Keep going. Oh, here's some tits. The final note I want to mention, they do a little, uh, they, they can't do it fully because it's Golden Harvest, but but they do try and create and suggest that uh, uh, Bruce is filming uh, like a, a Fist of Fury-like movie. They have re- recreation movies in the movie. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm also amused by these uh, sequences because they, they, they can't film in-movie movies 
in little bits. So they always suggest that Bruce is shooting like a five-minute one-take action sequence. And then at the end, cut! That was brilliant! Uh, so, <laughs> but but, it, but you kind of have to, I think. Yeah. But what I noticed this time around, um, actually I've seen it a couple of times uh, this year even, the girl he's saving in the Fist of Fury, like movie in movie recreation, has her tits out because she's. Been, I know, yes. Because she's been molested by the Japanese, and I, I, you know, it's clearly Fist of Fury they're riffing on, and I'm like, that didn't happen. No, <laughs> Nora Miao did not have her tits out in Fist of Fury. Nora, nor well, there are there, there is nudity, but from like uh, strippers and dancers that the Japanese uh, uh, are uh, being entertained by. But no such thing. No, no one in the background with their blouse uh, or shirt ripped. So it's like, come on, Shaw Brothers and Betty. Come. Could on. they not have just screened the movie and tried to like do their best to recreate it? It's like. There's so much shit in here that like the costumes don't match, the you know settings don't match, none of it matches. And Bruce and Bruce wasn't here in reality; he was here, and all, all of those things we discussed. So. <laughs> I don't, you know, you don't have to like do it perfectly. You know, you can always hide behind. Oh, it was an outtake, or you know what I'm saying? I mean, you don't. It doesn't have to be perfect. I'm not asking for that. I'm not that big of a nerd. I just like at least. Don't make me go, what movie is this? You know? Like, I shouldn't have to, like, fucking think that hard about it. You know, he only made <laughs> three, four movies, you know? Like, it, it shouldn't be that difficult to, like, pin down which movie we're talking about. Well, thank God they didn't, they didn't try to recreate the end of a dragon and do a blackface. Thank God. <laughs> they might have. Yeah, that's probably a cut uh, sequence. Like uh, there, there, there is um, a scene in uh, *End of a Fat Dragon*, Samus movie, where Li Hoi San is. Uh, yeah. They, they do a comedic <laughs> take of it. It's a comedic movie, of course, but Li Hoi San is still sort of like, well, it's an approximation of Jim Kelly. Uh, so Li Hoi San, mag- <laughs> magnificent butcher, and all of that. He's uh, wearing blackface in that one, so it is what it is. Sometimes Kelly probably would have done the movie for for a few bucks at that point. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, is is it worth sitting through if you have an interest in Bruce's story, Betty's story, and how a movie like this would play out? Because it kind of sounds like told from her perspective. Okay, fine. And then you probably hear in the rumor mill that it's kind of it's kind of goofy, all over the place, not truthful at all. Then yes, and it's it's uh, it's a novelty to see Bruce uh, Danny Lee as Bruce Lee and uh, doing his very best to uh, make sure we totes know that he he's playing Bruce Lee. and then touches his nose, <laughs> uh, but um, you know it's it's a mess. It really is a mess, and uh, it's uh, it tests your patience in in a variety of ways, including running time. It's, it really shouldn't be one hundred minutes uh, in its original um, cut here, but um, but yeah, it's uh, uh, it's worth. Uh, sitting through you have an interest in these types of things but don't expect you know a show robbers classic obviously i feel like if, you, if you're into bruce ploitation or even bruce lee in general like you want to know more about his life and whatnot and even get like a better view of betty ting pei and you know kind of at least be able to put a name with the face i feel like it, it's kind of necessary watching you kind of have to see it uh, at some point I think that uh, it's an, it's more of a historical, like, it does a horrible job of showing history, but the fact that it was made, the fact that, you know, he or she is probably a year and a half after his death, making this movie, uh, capitalizing off of his death, and 
you know, so many elements to it. You, you have to watch it. Yeah, for all the sort of wrong reasons, but it, it's not our. It's not like we need to shoulder the burden. Like so, someone else did, uh, did the, the bad deed here <laughs> of making it so to say. But yeah, uh, I watched it three times for for research uh, this year, uh, two times for this show, and then for an un- unrelated piece of research. I'm all too familiar with it, but uh, I think I'm done. It for keeps the moment. coming up. Yeah, you exactly. know, it just keeps coming up. You, you know, I, I as a separate recommendation, the director John Law is not necessarily the world's most distinguished Shaw Brothers director, but um, he did a, he had a good streak of kung fu movies at the end of the nineties, where obviously the action directors are shining in them. But he's the director of it; he needs to uh, keep it afloat and uh, provide a basic uh, kung fu movie for you all. So at Shaw Brothers, uh, uh, I would recommend John Law's movies: Monkey Kung Fu and Five Super Fighters. It's one of those. Uh, basic stripped down kung fu movies but there are they are exceptional at being basic and stripped down uh, so uh, if you're looking for something from the director that's way different but there's uh, a lot more short than uh, monkey kung fu and five super fighters is uh, where it's at for me and so uh, want to say anything else any other errors factual errors worth pointing out i mean it's like shooting uh, you start? you know mission apparel yeah it's it doesn't matter but the only thing that matters is kind of what this is, which is, you know, here is the woman who was with Bruce when he died presenting a crazy story. You know, some of it may be real. Some of it's probably most of it's probably not, to be honest, which I, I kind of have the feeling she didn't have a whole lot to do with the script here. Uh, but, you know, this is right after his death. Why wouldn't you want to see it? You know, kind of thing. And uh, obviously it was put in circulation once remastered for DVD and it was issued on Hong Kong DVD as part of that uh, remastered line of Shaw Brothers movies. movies. Uh, it had a, one of those 5.1 remixes that was reportedly a little bit grating and there was no mono option. Uh, uh, and the copy I saw online uh, was fairly expensive, to be honest, uh, like 50, 60 bucks or whatever. Uh, the cheaper options on eBay are bootlegs. But they they are they are a subtitled version if, if there's nothing else because it's not on Prime or anything like that. Uh, in Japan, there was a mono DVD issue that, while not English subtitle, contained a few extra snippets of nudity versus the Hong Kong DVD, and um, and some brief blurring of female never regions as, as expected from Japan. But uh, obviously, uh, there, there was a, a good half a minute extra across those two scenes of uh, of nudity that uh, the Hong Kong DVD actually didn't have. Uh, that is also out of print, but uh, but uh, it was uh, out there. So. Um, so hopefully uh, it uh, will um, be put back in circulation or uh, come cheaper on um, mm-hmm. on eBay and so forth. But uh, but yeah, uh, so that's us for this uh, mighty <clears throat> medical examination of uh, of uh, of Bruce and uh, all things uh, Bru- uh, really a scientific breakdown of all things uh, Bruce exploitation. But uh, there's so much more and we can't uh, do it justice in one episode but uh hope you enjoyed it uh, for all your podcast on fire network needs including the back catalog of this week in sleaze and this applies because this had this had a couple of sex scenes and uh the dvd itself had a one of those um, category free ratings uh, slapped on it uh, retroactively so it fits the show bruce lee and i so check out um our back catalog and if you have any feedback uh, let us know and uh, all the social media links uh, are available in the show post uh, and uh, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and stream us on Stitcher and Spotify and all that good stuff. We'll link to Josh's uh, Weird Cinema YouTube channel. Uh, in At the time of recording, uh, would you say you are like halfway done with your Bruce 
exploitation uh, doc, or that's hard to say, as a matter of fact? It, it's hard to say, uh, because I've been mostly working on uh, all of the animated sequences first, which this time is going to be... Cartoons! Basically, yeah. I'm Boogie! I'm Boogie! <laughs> I'm a fake Boogie! <laughs> like, like some Terrence and Phillips style uh, animation. <laughs> You know, that stuff takes time, and so I've been working on that. And actually, I'm at the point now where uh, I can kind of start recording, doing the audio, and then putting the everything kind of together. So um, I hope to finish it in the next month or so. That's the hope, at least. Well, well if it's done by the time I release this, then obviously it goes into the links as sure. well. But uh, Josh has a documentary on uh, on IFD Films and Arts, a documentary on, on the filmmaker, uh, the Flats something filmmaker that I can never remember, but I did watch it. Uh, because the, Frederick that was like, Hobbs. Because that was all new territory for me, and uh, you really put your uh, your work in. And you did a, a Japanese-themed uh, documentary as well. Yeah, Pinky Violence. I did a, a very detailed examination of that. Uh, I worked with uh, a couple of people who were very, very wiser to the not genre than i am and uh try to create something that was the most factual thing kind of in western the western world essentially and uh i think it did a good job on that it was a good 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 uh, good uh, watches for someone who's um not 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 into it and um uh, and they, they do encourage you uh, or inspire you to sort of seek out these uh, films uh, and so forth so good job my friend uh, so let's uh, let's stop the Betty and Bruce fucking and perhaps find some more otherworldly Bruce exploitation to watch. Guaranteed to not defend when it's so daft. So the movie, the movie with the with the oh he's got a hard on. Oh no, it's a nunchuck. That movie sounds pretty damn good to me right now. So uh, that's uh, that's what we're gonna do. I'm sleazy game with me was the great Lord Joshua Eagle. Thank you for your work. Uh, th- thank you for your service out in the real life, and thank you for applying your knowledge to this episode. Oh, thank you, Maggie.